Let's take our Bibles and go to Second Peter. I considered preaching a missions message, but I didn't finish the message from last time. So can't leave you hanging for a whole month. We got to finish this. And I do believe this all, of course, does still work into the theme of missions. This passage uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, of course, helps us as God's people to be prepared for reaching this world and to have a mission mindset. Second Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> we'll pick it up in verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, the patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as we look at your word this morning. Would you give clarity? Would you bring conviction? Would you bring convincement? And would you help us, Lord, as we seek to continue to mature in our faith and our Christian life? I pray that we would not be those Christians that are content to stay babes in Christ, content with milk and not with strong meat. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to seek to be that Christian that continues to grow and season and mature and be better fit for the service that you'd have us to perform for you. Lord, I pray you'd bless now as I preach and as we listen, help us to put out distractions and I pray for your help now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we asked the question last week, what's a casual Christian? And I proposed that a Christian, that's a casual Christian, is a Christian that never grew up, all right? A Christian that stops growing. And we talked about spiritual neverland a little bit last time. And how, you know, wouldn't it be nice if uh, you could just go to Neverland and not have to worry about responsibility and not d make difficult decisions and stuff is done for you. And, uh, you know, you just stay in this place, this state of spiritual maturity. Well, that is not God's plan for the Christian. He does not just want us to get by, to bump along. He wants us to abound. And that is clearly laid out in this passage we saw God's provision for maturity in the first four verses, having obtained like precious faith. And, and then moving forward through that uh, process of maturity in verses 5 through 7, giving all diligence to add to our faith these virtues. The virtues of uh, that first one, virtue, or uh, fit for, for one's purpose. And then knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness and charity. This is how we then interact with others as God first matures us, then we're able 
to work with other people. And then you have God's plan for maturity in verses 9 through 11. And we saw last week that first off, maturity is not a given. There's that word if. If these things be in you and abound. It's not a given. It's not a foregone conclusion. We cannot be passive about our growth. We've got to be active and diligently adding these things to our life, purposefully nurturing those virtues in our life. We saw also that maturity goes above and beyond. Spiritual maturity goes above and beyond. Someone who's immature just wants to do the least they can do to get by. And an immature worker oftentimes does not advance because they just do the bare minimum. But a mature employee will give them of himself and get a hold of the big picture and get the heart of the employer and he'll begin to to uh, think through what needs to take place and so that things can excel why that's that's a mature way of looking at things and so it is in the christian life the immature person just wants to get by just wants to check boxes God's word says, if, ye do, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful. God wants us to be abounding. A mature individual, a spiritually mature individual doesn't settle, but they continue to cultivate, continue to grow. Are you abounding or just getting by? And we saw thirdly last week, still reviewing here, maturity assumes certain expectations. It says that, you be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is an idea that as you're maturing in the Christian life, that there should be some fruit that comes with it. It is, it is the expectation of a mature believer that they would not be barren, that they would not be unfruitful. The idea of barren is free from label, labor, at leisure, lazy, shunning the labor which they ought to perform, unfruitful, not yielding the fruit that is expected. So it's clearly God's will that we have an expectation for those who are maturing. Much like with our kids, as they grow, we expect more of them, and God also expects more of us. Number four, maturity has a long-term perspective. This is where we finished things last time. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. He is blind, devoid of sight, engulfed by the darkness, or having closed his eyes. As you mature, maturity sharpens your sight. I gave the illustration last time about how little kids can't see things that are right in front of them. You, they, you can hide something in plain sight, little kid can't see it. It's, it's fun. We parents have fun with that sometimes. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it, it can be entertaining. Uh, but that's not funny if you're 25 and you can't see what's right in front of you, especially if you have no vision problem. You just don't focus, right? God wants us to, as Christians, have a sight that is being honed, spiritually speaking and biblically speaking. God doesn't want us to be blind or short-sighted, not able to see afar off, only able to see what is right in front of us. To fail to cultivate the virtues that God has laid out in this passage is to remain blind and short-sighted. As I mentioned last week, 
we need to ask ourselves, have we become nearsighted in our Christian experience? Are we only looking at the present moment and not looking at what is coming? The Bible continues, though, he that, is, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Not only does maturity have a long-term perspective, but maturity, fifthly, remembers. And this is where we pick up the new material this week. Maturity remembers. Remembers what? First of all, remembers who I was. It says he hath the one who is immature, has, who's blind, has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That's a pretty big thing to forget. That's a, that's a big deal. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I was saved, wasn't I? <laughs> you know, yes, you were saved. Uh, hopefully, you remember that, and hopefully, uh, your life has been changed, and hopefully, you're living every day with the gratitude of that event that Christ went to the cross for you, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day. He was ultimately ascended and is coming again for you. Hopefully, we don't forget what he went through for us on account of our sin. But it is possible when we stop nurturing these virtues, it is possible that we can forget things that were so real just yesterday. My wife and I this morning, we're getting ready, <clears throat> and Erica came in, and she was being cute. She's our, our youngest, our four-year-old, and uh, she said a couple things, and then my wife said, oh, remember what she used to call that? I think we're talking about dessert, and Erica used to have a word for dessert that she just made up out of the blue, and then all of us, our whole family started using her word. I think it was all by. I don't know how she came up with that. I don't know what it means, but dessert was all by. So our whole family, you went all by? It's like, wait a minute, who's, who's, who's the adult here and who's the kid and how's this supposed to work? Uh, but it was cute, and so we went with it. Well, she doesn't do that anymore, and it was like I had totally forgotten about that, totally forgotten. And my wife rem uh, reminded me, oh, remember what Erica used to do? And it's like, it came, it came back. Wow, that was yesterday. Like, she's only four. That was, just, that was just yesterday, and I totally forgot about that. And, and there's a lot of things like that in life that, can be so neat in the moment, and then, whew, they're just gone. You know, if my wife hadn't mentioned that, I probably never would have remembered that the rest of my life, right? Not that that's the biggest, biggest deal. But the point of this this morning is there is a, a possibility that we can have a memory problem with what Jesus has done for us, and that is a big deal. We need to remember who we were and a mature individual never forgets where they came from. They know what was done for them. They know how hard things have been and what they've come through. And in this case, what God has done. I was a sinner, condemned, lost, without hope. But Jesus found me. Jesus saved me. And I cannot forget that I was purged from my old sins. I remember who I was. I used to be a lost, condemned sinner. But now, who am I? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There in 2 Corinthians, you have old things. In 2 Peter chapter 1, you have old sins. And it's important for us to remember that there are things about 
our life that we need to remember are, are old. They're not part of the new. And relegate those things to the past. Remember, wait a minute, this is not who I am today. This issue I'm being tempted with, this is more of who I was. And we have to continually make these connections. But by not continuing to mature as a Christian these virtu- in, in these virtues, the memory becomes short. We forget that we are purged from our old, uh, from our old sins. In verses 12 through 13, which will be a future message, Lord willing, remembrance is reiterated three times. You can skip ahead if you want. Look at that. He's, he's going to reiterate over and over and over just how important it is to be in remembrance. Jesus also knew how easily we forget our sin, our sin debt and His sacrifice, the sacrifice that took care of our sin. This is why He instituted the Lord's Supper. This do ye as often as ye eat it or drink it in remembrance of Me. Why? We are forgetful people. You look at Exodus, Numbers, and you see a chosen people that were so forgetful. And we scratch our heads and we're thinking, why don't you guys get it? But for us, it's, everything's a page away, you know? And we can say, wait, 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 just two pages ago, this and this happened. Why can't you guys remember? It wasn't two pages ago for them. It was, you know, it's, it's like you and me today. There's a lot of stuff that was two pages ago in our life story that we don't remember either. We have to be very, very purposeful about remembering or it is our destiny as depraved humans to let things pass out of our memory. This is why we need to meet with God every morning. This is why you need a purposeful, intentional time of of devotion to Him, reading, praying, studying, meditating, journaling, Why is it important to write things down? Because you aren't going to remember what you thought in your Bible time by lunchtime, let alone by tomorrow. There have been times I have taken my journal and just thumbed through and read, and the Lord has re-quickened certain truths, certain memories. Oh, yes, that's right. I remember when I learned that. I remember when God did that. Oh, yeah, and it helps you to not lose the blessing that God gave you in that moment. Maturity remembers who I was. Maturity remembers who I am. That I am new. I've been purged from my old sins. I like the phrase old sins. They're under the blood of Jesus. When Satan reminds me of my old sins, I remind him that they are old. And that I have been purged by them by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm a forgiven child of God. Old sins implies they've been dealt with through Jesus. Old sins implies that my identity is no longer as a sinner. My identity now is a saint because of Christ. Called to be saints, Romans 1.7. To the saints, Acts 9.32. This is who I am. Don't forget You know, kids, if we use them as the illustration of immaturity, 
Not that adults aren't immature. But one thing that kids often say is, I forgot. Kids love that. I think it's one of the first sentences kids learn. <laughs> Besides something having to do with food um, or mine, is I forgot. It is the uh, number one excuse of an immature individual. I forgot. You know, but eventually you got to work your way through that thing because it doesn't work in school, doesn't work in college, doesn't work when you're getting your PhD, doesn't work when you're in the career that you had dreamed of. Why? You have to mature and begin taking responsibility. And that's what he's asking of us as those who are maturing in him. You know, a kid will in the moment just forget, hey, this looks fun, I'm going to take it. And forget where, what this is going to do to them <laughs> or, or the bigger picture. But re- uh, hopefully a responsible, mature individual will say, I'm not going to do this or that. This is not who I am. This is more of who I used to be. I've been purged from my old sins. This is not my destiny. That's part of my past. I remember who I was and who I am, and therefore I make a decision based on that. Do not live under the guilt of what you did. Live with the remembrance of what Christ did about what you did. Never forget does not mean live every day under the burden of, oh, I'm a terrible sinner. That's not what we mean. Never forget that you were purged from your old sins. Never forget what Jesus did to save you. Maturity remembers. But also number six. Maturity gives diligence to stabilize one's identity. Verse 10, Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. So here it is, the verse on calling and election. So we interrupt this regularly scheduled sermon to rabbit trail down the most abused... (laughs) theological wormhole uh, of human history. Uh, If you don't know, yes, there's quite a debate over what election is uh, and what its place is in theology and uh, election and predeterminism versus free will. I don't want to uh, go to seed on this and go too far in the weeds, but these are biblical concepts and the Bible uh, doesn't mince words. Every word is important, and so we're going to deal with these things this morning. I don't want us to lose the big point, though. This is where we could just get on a theological tangent of Calvinism versus Arminianism, but there's a big point we might lose. First off, I don't like uh, the labels Calvinism or Arminianism as they pertain to me personally. I don't uh, want to identify myself. And I wouldn't identify, identify myself any more as a Calvinist or an Arminian than I would a Darwinian. Um, not just because of what they believe, but it's, I don't want to be called after a person. Um, 
And plus, depends on how you cut these things. People say they're a Calvinist that mean a spectrum of, of things. People say they're an Arminian and believe various things. Uh, to, to just simplify it here, you know, the, the uh, Calvinism side would give more weight to sovereignty, God's sovereignty, and the Arminianism side would give more weight to man's free will. The truth of the matter is, both free will and God's sovereignty election, and so forth. It's all in the Bible. These are biblical terms. We're not afraid of them one way or the other. And uh, what happens, I think, is uh, in this debate between the Arminianists and the Calvinists, the free willies, or free willers, versus, yeah, I said it. <laughs> That's what we used to call them in Bible college. Um, the free willers versus the Calvinists, all right, um, is basically it comes down to uh, uh, basically just choosing to interpret the Bible through this grid or choosing to interpret the Bible through this grid when I believe the grid is much broader than either grid. And we just have to take both sides and give them equal weight. You say, oh, uh, that does, that's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. No, I don't think it is. God is eternal. God is very, very big, much bigger than me. And if I could explain everything perfectly in my systems, then uh, God would be more akin to me than he would divinity. So I don't mind these things being held in tension. Uh, when we look at the words calling and election, sometimes people get tri tripped up by this. One of the logical extremes, uh, now I'm not saying everyone who holds to Calvinism would believe this, but one of the extremes is, if, if we're elect to salvation, then some are elected to damnation. And if there was at some point before the foundation of the world an, a, a, a sovereign eeny, meeny, miny, mo, uh, and this one got chosen to heaven and that one chosen to hell, then it just kind of um, becomes uh, pointless for life. And, uh, you know, whether I had Cheerios or, or bran flakes, it was all predetermined by God. And people slip into a, a spiritual fatalism and, and even uh, sometimes depression uh, because they're trying to, to contemplate something that happened in eternity that you can't contemplate. And no, God didn't choose someone to hell. That's not in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that. We who are saved are referred to as the elect. And, uh, but that, that still, I, I would say, don't take a verse and then take it to its logical extremes. People will take a verse and say, if this verse is true, like if we're elect, then if this, then this. This must be true. Some are elect the other way. And if that's true, if this, then this. And if this, then this. And before you know it, we're four or five syllogisms away from the scripture. And we've got to make sure we're staying very tight to the scripture when we get to these kinds of theological questions. Now, I'm probably already... Uh, too much in the muck and mire here, but I want to I, I want to see see how this how this helps us with uh, the point that Peter is making. All right, so when you read this, I want to I, I want to help us with something. This text does not mean that Christians are to confirm their call and election to eternal salvation. In other words, <clears throat> um, this is not saying that if we're not diligent to add these virtues, then maybe we are not part of the elect. That's where some people go with this. 
Uh, some people will say, okay, wait a minute here. This is saying if it says uh, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, so if you do these things, you shall never fall. And so some folks say, well, okay, I need to give diligence to make sure I'm really elect. I need to give sh- diligence to make sure I'm really saved. And rather than this verse and this whole passage building our assurance and confidence in our growth and maturity and heading towards reward, that's the last point here we're going to get to, is that welcome home and that reward. Rather than this passage serving to undergird that, uh, folks actually take this in a way that undermines everything that Peter's trying to do in the passage. So people come to despair when they come to this passage and they say, okay, so if I fail to add diligently the virtues, um, and, and instead of, you know, my experience is not never falling, my experience is frequently falling, um, and, you know, maybe I'm not sure about my calling and election, maybe my whole, maybe my whole uh, salvation is in question, and so uh, it becomes very unsettling. One author wrote it this way. This is what a very trusted author wrote, and this is basically the tenor of most authors on this passage. He writes this. If we, and I don't agree with this, by the way, okay, but he writes, if we do these things, what things? The virtues listed in the passage. If we do these things, if we display Christian growth and character in our daily lives, then then we can be sure we are converted and will one day be in heaven. I have a problem with that. I don't believe that's what Peter is teaching. I don't believe that's the point of this passage. And unfortunately, it takes the whole point and hijacks it and turns it right around back onto an egocentric focus. It's all up to me again. It's all up to me again. If I'm diligent to add these virtues, then maybe I'll be welcomed home. How are you any different than anybody else who is just simply trying to work their way to heaven at that point. How is that any different than uh, just a a, a moralist who's trying to be moral and good and upstanding? So many believers fall into doubt and despair on account of this thinking. A couple things I'd like to give you concerning this. Two answers to this dilemma, if you will. The first is this, and a lot of folks probably won't like this. I don't know about here, but I know a lot of theologians probably wouldn't. The idea, this phrase, calling and election, all right, it's right there in the text. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. That does not have to refer to salvation, folks. The word election is like any other word. In order to come to a meeting, you have to have the context. You've got to You've got to be able to define this word. And uh, does, does condemnation in the Bible always refer to hell? No. Does salvation, the word salvation in the Bible is used multiple times. Does the word salvation always refer to salvation in the soteriological sense of going to heaven? No. The word salvation oftentimes is used just to talk about deliverance. Does someone being delivered from something? Salvation has, has various meanings depending on the context, and and so does any word in the Scripture. And when we see election, it is such a systematized word. This word, we see election, it always means salvation. 
Not necessarily. Look at this. First of all, the phrase, even the word order, calling an election, rather than election and calling. If we were dealing with salvation, you would think that election would precede calling, but this is calling an election. The word election, uh, 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 sorry, the word here within its context, I believe, is this. It's referring to God's calling us to be conformed into the image of his Son and electing or choosing those to reward who are diligent about their calling, calling an election. And you see this uh, used similarly in other passages of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, you've got the parable of the vineyard workers. Many are called, but few are chosen. That's a passage dealing with reward. He calls the one and agrees with them to hire them for a penny. They work all day. He hires a few others at different t- points throughout the day. And if you go look at the passage, he does not agree with them about wages. He does not set wages. He only set the wages of the first guy, a penny. The others, he said, I will give you what is right. And the last people who he hires, he hires at the very end of the day. All they, all they worked was one hour. And at the end, he gives them all a penny. And the guys who worked the whole day said, what in the world? We worked all day long through the heat of the day and and we should be paid more. He says, hey friend, I've done you no wrong. We agreed for a penny. And so they got their penny and they went away. So there must have been something that he really liked about the work of the ones who came in late. Those guys who came in and worked in that last hour, that must have been quite an hour. Maybe they were so happy that they got called at the end of the day that they just killed it. They, were, they did a whole day's, work of work, work, day's worth of work in one hour. And however it worked, that, 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 that employer decided to give them what he felt was right. He gave them the penny and they went their way. Uh, they were all called, but certain were chosen to greater reward. Okay. Uh, and, the, and that's uh, the phrase in that passage. Many are called, but few are chosen. Verse 14, uh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong, uh, verse 16, verse 16 of Matthew 20. Then you have Matthew 22 and verse 14 is where he says again, many are called, few are chosen. This is the parable of the wedding guest. Many are called to the feast. Uh, one guy is not accepted. He does not wear the correct garment. He is dismissed. Many are called, few are chosen. I don't believe that's referring to damnation. I believe that's referring to reward. He was not rewarded with the, the feast and, and the presence and the company as a, as a wedding guest. And I, If you t- go to, to Peter here, I believe Peter is wishing his readership to produce in their lifestyle appropriate verification that they are chosen people, royal people, destined for high honor in the coming kingdom of God, By doing the virtues, by diligently adding these virtues, cultivating these Christian virtues of spiritual maturity, right? Their road into the glories of the kingdom are going to be greatly rewarded. And they will not stumble on the path and run the risk of losing that reward. Uh, They are called to obtain. Instead, as they're nurturing these virtues, uh, they'll prove themselves chosen for divine reward. I think 
uh, that makes sense as you look at this entire passage, the, the entire book, he is preparing his people for what? The coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord. And you've got here in this passage, the next verse is, is the welcome. Uh, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. It's not that the entrance is in question. Okay, Peter says, you better diligently add all of these virtues or you might not be elect to salvation and you might not get the entrance. That's not the case at all. He's already said, he already told them earlier in the book, in the first verse, that they had obtained like precious faith, not according to their merit, but according to the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ the Lord. It's never, salvation's never been about you and me and our merit. It's always been about God and His Son. The righteousness is there, and it's imputed to us. And so everything that we have stems out of that. And now, as he's established that you have this position in Christ, the rest of it is how we're going to grow in the practical uh, aspects of, of what we have in Christ. Growing in maturity, growing in greater usefulness, growing in greater service. And the, the idea of this entrance in verse 11, which I'm getting ahead of myself, but is the, the main key there is the abundance of it or the lack of abundance, not calling into question the entrance itself on account of whether or not you're actually called or not. Now you say, I don't know about that. I still think that calling an election is, is referring to salvation. And you can, you can, you can uh, disagree with me there, that's fine. I would still say, even if you take it that way, that this verse should not be used to cast doubt and disparity upon what God gave us and what we were said to have obtained in the first verses, assuming you have obtained it by faith in Christ. Let's consider the word sure, because this, this is the word that everybody is tripped up by. Wherefore, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. This is the idea of stable, steadfast, established or firm, sure, certain. Even if you see calling an election as referring to your salvation, I would still say it should not be used to call your salvation into question. Um, as I mentioned, he's already told us that we've obtained like precious faith in verse 1 through Jesus. The idea is not that our salvation needs shoring up, okay, or that we need to really make sure that we are really truly elect. But the idea is this, by continuing to grow in these virtues, we further establish our identity as God's called and chosen children. So it's about that identity in Christ. You know, when, when you see in the Bible the word elect used, it's, it's used often to speak of the saved. It's synonymous for the saved. A couple of verses, you can look them up later. Uh, I wrote them down here somewhere. Romans 8.33, Romans 9.11, Colossians 3.12, 1 Thessalonians 1.4, Titus 1.1 are a few uh, work dealing with election or elect. And oftentimes, uh, uh, the, you know, the author of an epistle, Paul or whoever, will say, to the elect in this town, right? They're talking about to God's people in this town, to the saved in this town location. And that's your identity. 
And so it's important, folks, that we live according to the identity and live in a way that, uh, that is not destabilizing that identity, but it is adding to and, and, and uh, strengthening. That's the word I was looking for. Strengthening that identity that we are God's called and chosen children. It is our identity as one of his own called and elect that needs to be established or made firm or made steadfast, both for testimony's sake and also for our own soul's sake. But what does a mature individual do? Spiritual maturity would seek to give diligence to stabilize one's identity. And taking that concept of reward, calling and election, uh, being that of called and chosen for reward, a spiritually mature individual is able to gear in on that which is future. You see this all the time with sports. People will work for a year, give up everything because of what they see coming. That's mature. That is maturity. The immature individual is unstable, doesn't know who they are, doesn't know where they're going, doesn't know why they're doing what they're doing, doesn't know what it, how it all put, fits together and what's going to come of all of this. Why am I even doing this? Folks, that just is, 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 is calling out your spiritual immaturity. You don't understand who you are and where you're going and what this is all about. So dig in. Dig into your walk with God. Are you steadfast in who you are in Christ? Is, is it obvious to others? Is it obvious to you? Are you giving diligence to stabilize your identity? Some of us, boy, I tell you, we don't know if we're Christ or not. We're always doubting our salvation. We're always looking at things as though it all depends on us. Folks, uh, salvation is not dependent upon my promise to God. Salvation is dependent upon His promise to me. It's not me who said it is finished. It was Him. And I don't need to add to what He did. I need to rest in it. Are you giving diligence to stabilize your identity as a child of God, called and chosen? How seriously have you taken God's calling and election or choosing to eternal reward and blessing? I am his son, and he wants to bless me as such. I want to live to please my father. Spurgeon gave this quote, Let a Christian be much disturbed in mind. Let earthly cares get into his soul. Let him have doubts and fears as to his eternal safety. Let him lose a sense of reconciliation to God. Let his adoption be but dimly before his eyes, and you will not see much divine life within him. These are key things just to our joy, key things to our peace and purpose in life. We need to nurture, maturity needs to nurture just who we are in our identity in Christ. Number seven, we need to move quickly. Maturity tends toward victory. Maturity tends toward victory if ye do these things. What things? Diligently add to your faith the virtues of spiritual maturity. And verses 5 through 7. 
Uh, the Christian life is not passive, it's very active. God invites us to cooperate with Him. So uh, uh, we, if ye do these things, if we're cooperating with Him, maturing, the Bible says, ye shall never fall. This refers to not just a trip necessarily, but a, a great fall, as I understand it. You can look this up yourself. It, 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 again, this word can have multiple nuances, but it, it seems to be referring to a great fall, a major failing of some kind. And these things do happen to believers. But nurturing Christ's virtues is the best defense against that happening. You know, David prayed that God would keep him from what? The great transgression. And so ought we to pray. And we ought to have that same reality. Uh, not, uh, not being cavalier. And just thinking, oh, it's all going to work out. I'm his child. No, I have to be maturing. I need to be diligently maturing in these virtues and that is the best protection against the great fall, a, a great transgression. And thankfully, even God in his mercy, even there, can, can restore and heal and bring a child back even from a great fall. You know, so many of us live our Christian life obsessed with not doing certain things. And you can wear yourself right out with that obsession. Oh, don't go here. Don't go there. Okay, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. It's kind of like rewind the clock or fast forward or whatever you're at in life to the baby gate stage. How, how many of you are in the baby gate stage? We got probably a few parents here in the baby gate stage, right? I see some young moms. Um, there's a time in your life where every appliance in the house has a locking device of some sort. Oh, it's annoying. You can't open a cabinet. You can't go down the stairs. Boom, you trip, almost trip over the half wall that you put there to keep the kid from tripping down the stairs. You know, everything has a device. Why? Because the kid is so immature in their development, you can't reason with them. You go to plug in your, your, your phone charger. Ugh, I got to take the cap out of the plug first. Now I can plug in my phone charger. You ever try to peel those things out? They peel your fingernails right off. You know, the stuff that we go through, waiting for our kids' brains to develop. But we do it because you can't, you can't just tell the kid, if you put your finger in there, you'll, you'll die. Kid's like, serious? <laughs> you know, let's check it out. Words don't work. So you have to just be, you have to just stop up all of the possible problems. You're filing off corners to make them round, right? Well, you know, we live our Christian lives that way too. With an assumption that we're going to be spiritually immature forever. And I know this is a tough one to be balanced on because we do need guardrails. And the truth is, let's just be honest, we aren't as spiritually mature as we'd like to think we are. And where there is immaturity, Cover the wall outlet. All right? I don't care if you've been saved for 40 years. If you recognize that this is, the, this is a, a space where I'm immature, I, I need to grow, well, let's cover the wall outlet if I need that, okay? But I think some Christians, we are just obsessed with that plane of this battle 
and we're not obsessed with the other plane, which is nurturing the virtues. And did you know, if we would put more time there, we actually would get further and we'd be less worn out. It's less stressful. When you have a bunch of kids and you know that this one kid that you have is mature and you're leaving the house for overnight business trip and you're like, I hope everything is okay, but you know what? No, that kid of mine, there's maturity there. I don't have to spell everything out. I don't have to lock it all down. It's going to be okay. You know, there's rest there. But if you leave and there's an immature kid in, in charge, right, you are stressing yourself, preparing. Then you're gone. You're still stressed out. Did I, did I do everything? Is everything secure? Yeah, it, folks, a lack in this area is a sign of spiritual immaturity. And uh, the idea of, 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 of the, the great fall, the great transgression here, yes, there should be the fear of God, but what I'm saying is that fear of God needs to not just motivate what we're against, but it needs to motivate diving into what we're for. And we've got to say, Lord, I need a heart change. My kids need a heart change. If we would just see this the way you see it, we wouldn't have to work so hard to stay away from it. If I see it the way God sees it, I don't want it. You don't have to put a wall in front of it. So then, folks, this is, I believe, the number one reason why victory is so elusive to me or any of us here is because We've spent all of our energy on one side of the equation, the defense, but we don't play any offense, or not any. We don't, we don't put enough on the offense, the offense being diving into my personal nurturing love of the Savior. Of the Savior. Maturity tends toward victory. Immaturity tends toward defeat. Maturity can see down the road. Where's your focus? How are you fighting the battle? Are you only against this, against that, locking everything down, or are you nurturing Christ's likeness? Are you trying to become more like Jesus, or you, do you just want to avoid sin? Do you realize God's not going to let you avoid sin unless you become like him. You know how destructive it would be if we could figure out how to avoid sin without Christ-likeness? That we'd be little gods on earth. As long as you're trying to beat sin without nurturing Christ-likeness, God himself will be against you. Temptation will always find you. The hope for victory is to be maturing from within. And that's the only hope. Are you focused on this battlefront? And finally, number eight, maturity will be abundantly rewarded by our Savior. Maturity will be abundantly rewarded by our Savior. You see, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Hey, it's going to be worth it to dive into your Christian life. It's going to be worth it to nurture these virtues. It's worth it to put in the time because there's something more abundant coming. Maturity can only see the here and now. And they do not understand, I'm sorry, immaturity. Immaturity can only see the here and now and cannot understand investment and reaping. But spiritual maturity says, no, 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 the here and now, it's fine. But I understand investment is so much more powerful. I remember when Samuel was really little. Sorry, Sam, here we go. <clears throat> he was like two years old, maybe two and a half. So this is a long time ago, so don't hold this against him. He was offered a sucker after church. We were preaching an evangelism somewhere. And the pastor said, I'm taking you guys out. To my family and I out to, to the, the steakhouse, the buffet steakhouse thing. It's going to be great. Tons of food, you know, ice cream and all of this. He's like, I'm, I'm taking you guys out. But he said, Samuel, do you want a sucker? And I said, oh, you know what? If we're going to the steakhouse and there's the ice cream bar, I don't think we want him having a sucker plus ice cream. He's like, oh, come on. Let the kid live a little. I said, Rebecca, what do you think? No, no, sucker now or ice cream later. And so I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to be a dad and I'm going to teach my son some, some decision-making. So I'm, I grabbed the sucker from the preacher. I said, Samuel, do you want the sucker now or the ice cream later? And he's just like, sucker, sucker, sucker. Wait, 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 hang on. Now, hang on, son. Hang on. Let's think about this. He, and he's just like, sucker, sucker. <laughs> you know? I said, look, we're, going, we're getting ready to get in the car. We're going to drive five minutes down the road. We're going to the steakhouse with buffets everywhere, and one's, one whole bar is an ice cream bar. There's going to be Tootsie Rolls uh, you can put on there and everything and gummy bears, and it's going to be great. You can have ice cream later, but you can't have this. Or you can have this and no ice cream. Why did I even do this as a dad? This was so dumb. But anyway, I said, son, do you want ice cream? Yes. Okay, well, then you can't have this. No, I want it. And we, he, we went back and forth and back and forth. And finally, like, so if you take this, we're going in the car and you're not going to have ice cream. It's fine, Dad. It's fine. He grabbed that sucker. Oh, it was so good all the way there. And then we got there and everyone's eating ice cream. And he's, of course, he wanted his ice cream. Of course, he wanted his ice cream. And uh, boy, that was a dumb dad moment, you know, where I had to deal with that. But I, I, I don't remember what we did. Did we give him the ice cream? No, I don't think we did. <laughs> I don't think we did. He's more than made up for it now. More than made up for it. But so what I, what, he didn't learn anything that day. But I learned, poor kid, I learned, yeah, you know what? Immaturity is always going to take what's in front of you. It always it's just how it is. He, it wasn't his fault. He's an immature kid, and kid says, I like suckers now, and I like ice cream later. I mean, <laughs> hello. Uh, uh, and yet, um, no matter how much I tried to help him see what was coming, he couldn't do it. And for some of us, I hate to say that maybe where we are, where our focus is right here. And we are, we are not thinking of abundance later. We're thinking of abundance now. But the more we live for abundance now, the more we are 
empty now. For an, an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Folks, we have to remember we were made, these souls of ours were not made to live here forever. They were made to live there forever. And if you want abundance and satisfaction and fulfillment, if you want to be able to kiss the depression goodbye and the anxiety goodbye, the best way to do that is to invest these souls of ours into what we were made for, living for eternity. Understanding there's a greater reward coming. There's a greater abundance. But we are so temporal, we can't see anything in front of our nose but the lollipop. And we wonder why God doesn't love us, supposedly. As though it's God's fault and he's saying, I have so much for you, I need you to trust me. Again, it's not that our entrance itself is up for grabs, depending on our performance, but it is the abundance of our entrance or lack thereof. That's, the, that's what is in question here based on our maturity as a believer. It's speaking of the manner of our entrance. I'm out of time. It's possible to be saved, yet so is by fire, 1 Corinthians 3.15 tells us. It's possible to enter heaven and receive spiritual wealth as a reward. 1 Corinthians 3.14 tells us, if any man's work abide, uh, he shall receive reward. God wants us to earn crowns, rewards which we can honor the Lamb by laying those down at his feet, Revelation 4.10. The entrance into eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ will be supplied with richness. It'll be a wonderful welcome home. Are you expecting something to be done to you or for you that you're not willing to do diligently yourself. Folks, we have to get serious about our own maturity and taking responsibility for that. It can't just be somebody needs to fix me. Why isn't God doing something for me? The question comes to us through this passage. Why are you waiting around? Will you not be diligent about your own spiritual condition? No one's keeping you from him. Will you ask God to help you live according to the calling and election that he has given you concerning the abundant welcome that is in store? Don't be one who has forgotten what he saved you from. Let's conclude by reviewing these points. All right, back to the first one. Maturity is not a given. Maturity goes above and beyond. Maturity assumes certain expectations Maturity has a long-term perspective. Maturity remembers he has been purged from his old sins. Maturity gives diligence to stabilize one's identity. God has called me and chosen me for better things. I'm his. I need to live for him. Then you have maturity tends toward victory. Praise God. That's best defense as an offense, maturing in my walk with him. Maturity will be abundantly rewarded by our Savior. Lord, I pray you'd help us as your children to walk diligently in this Christian life, to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And right on through, Lord, would you help us to have uh, that commitment to be active in our spiritual pursuit of you. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. As the piano plays, would you take a moment just to talk to the Lord about your need? Will you take responsibility 
for your need. That's what maturing individuals do. Take responsibility. Let's close with a word of prayer. Stand to your feet if you would. If you have a need that you'd like to talk about, I'll be available in the lobby afterwards so we can set up an appointment if we need more time. Uh, But let's make sure that we're being uh, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, uh, submitting to him when he talks to us so graciously. Lord, thank you for working in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would give us victory now. Help us uh, to put and to practice that which you're touching our our hearts about right now. I pray that you'd continue to focus us on the eternal. And thank you, Lord, that you design for us to be rewarded abundantly as we walk by faith, cultivating these virtues, the virtues of your Son. We pray for your blessing now as we dismiss and that you would bless the 6 o'clock time as we uh, go through some of these again and seek to further apply. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you back at 6 o'clock for the life groups.